In football, anything can happen on the field, and your level of confidence determines how you handle it. And the same goes for moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips you with as much confidence as possible so that you can handle whatever comes your way. With newer, cleaner, safer trucks, Penske Truck Rental will help you move with confidence. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. We've got uh, an absolutely awesome show for you because uh, the great Ross Tucker. Uh, the, the multi-talented, the uh, like Mr. Football Ross Tucker is going to be joining us here in just a little bit. Martin Simmons, uh, we are sitting here Tuesday morning. We're going to have playoff rankings live reaction show coming up uh, later this later tonight. We'll be recording that a late reaction. So uh, they're going to be revealing the new playoff rankings around nine o'clock or so, and then we'll you know once we get our CBS Sports HQ and our CBSSports.com duties handled. Or sometime around that, we'll be gathering together so that we can give you our live takes. Uh, also, we'll have Dennis Dodd on that show as well. But man, you how, do you? I didn't know until we sat down and got into the conversation that this is hate week for you and Ross Barton Simmons. <laughs> well, I had forgotten this, and too bad that Ross had to get on a, another interview because we we couldn't have really ha- had some some Princeton uh, Yale yeah, beef. <laughs> really, yeah, I know that's what everybody wants and some good old fashioned pinky up Ivy league, uh, head button. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we know when, and when I went to school and I'm sure it's still the same way as Harvard and Princeton weeks approach, the t-shirts that would get sold in the cafeteria said Harvard sucks and Princeton doesn't matter. You know, Harvard's our rival <laughs> and Princeton thinks of us as their rival right and you know sometimes we have to humor them and and beat them down when they when they think that they're getting too big for their britches but yes princeton's having a heck of a year this year so what's the uh what is your prediction for this week's game uh i predict an upset i predict the elis will uh will 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 shock the the top 25 ranked princeton tigers (sighs) tigers favored by 14 and a half is that the number yeah Oh wow! I'm glad you could find one. Um, yeah, man, take the points. Yeah, I mean, take I'm seeing 14 and a half and an over under a 57. Uh, so you're just telling me that I need to go to the Westgate Superbook and lay it on an underdog and an under? Yes, I'm here. In a rivalry game. <laughs> yeah, look, this is hey, Yale's out of the Ivy League championship race, but they won the Ivy League championship last year, and all their their motivation is to spoil Princeton's. They'll uh, that that'll get you that'll get you up for a game. Um, okay, a few news headlines and before we get to our Penske team on the move and Ross Tucker. Number one, we've got uh, – it's literally like right as we were finishing up our podcast, I feel like Kansas announced that David Beatty will be out at the end of the season. The, the Kansas job search starts churning. We're going to have Dennis Dodd on again uh, in, in the next show to be able to really break down who goes into that search. What was your instant reaction in terms of what the Kansas pitch is and sort of what you imagine the Jayhawks could do in terms of landing a next head football coach? Well, part of the reason that they're, I think they're cutting bait with, with Beatty is that they've got all these new facility improvements and um, 
new fundraising campaigns that they're pushing. And so I think that they're trying to present themselves as an ascending program that's going to really put in the effort. Uh, and so, look, maybe uh, maybe they can attract someone better than, uh, than, than folks realize. But uh, you, you got to think that – look, we'll, we'll get into the pluses and minuses of some of the candidates that have emerged. But I, I think you got to – you got to look at this job in a different way than you would look at most of the other Big 12 programs, and, and that, that probably goes without saying. Um, Florida State's Willie Taggart announced that he's going to be handing off his play-calling duties to offensive coordinator Walt Bell. Uh, this is you know amid the, the Seminoles have their own quarterback uh, decisions going on. DeAndre Francois got banged up against Clemson. James Blackman is, uh, is, is comes in. Look, actually, like – on the sneak, James Blackman played all right against NC State. Now, NC he threw St- like 400-some yards, didn't he? Yeah, and NC State's secondary. Those who know the program well uh, feel like that has been uh, a spot where you can go get them and a spot that's been exposed, particularly against Clemson and some other teams. But uh, I, I I, don't know. I'm, I'm kind of looking at this Florida State team, and uh, if James Blackman's able to give them a spark, I, they're going on the road. They're going to be playing in horrendous conditions against Notre Dame on the weekend. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be making it a lock. I don't know if you or Tom would be making it a lock, but what are your early feels on what to expect from the Seminoles with the, the shakeup behind the scenes, potential shakeup at the quarterback position going up against the national championship contender in South Bend on Saturday night? Being a head coach at a football program, a major college football program of the size and magnitude of Florida State, is pretty hard to do while you're also game planning, running position, running um, unit meetings, uh, doing all the, the preparation that goes into being a coordinator. And the guys that can do it, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, like, like that Lincoln Riley just stepped into the – the head chair at Oklahoma and and kept calling plays and kept the offensive coordinator role is is amazing at 33 years old or whatever the hell he was. So I I I I think that this is probably overdue that uh, Willie Taggart hands the, the the play calling over to to uh, Walt Wells and and I think Walt Wells is one of the real I think up and coming stars in, in coaching and, and you would expect that he's capable and equipped to do this, whether it helps me out picking that spread. I'm not there yet. Florida state still scares me to death. Uh, but yeah, this is, this feels like uh, an overdue move. Yeah. Walt Bell, 34 years old. What'd I say? Uh, Walt Wells? Walt, uh, Walt Bell. Yeah. Former Who's middle, Wells? former middle Tennessee wide receiver been coming up through the, uh, played yeah. at Lincoln County high school. Uh, the pit in Lincoln County team I used to play coming up. In high he's school. Uh, he's an old Larry Fedora guy. Yeah, quality yeah. control at Oklahoma State, wide receivers coach at Southern Miss, tight ends coach at North Carolina. Went with Blake Anderson to Arkansas State. Uh, it'll. I mean, I I am going to continue to go back to the well and find it empty as I believe that Florida State can get off the mat. I don't know if get off the mat. I don't think get off the mat even means beating Notre Dame, but man, it's, it's just going to be set. Like I, I wonder, uh, where the, the level of, um, pride or bounce back is in that locker room right now. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, 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 it's time to find out if they quit or not. Yeah. And, 
And I don't know. And in the cold rain, in the snow against Notre Dame is going to be a time to find out whether or not uh, 85 highly touted high school prospects from Florida have quit or not. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to quit in that game. We'll see if they take it. We'll see. Uh, I've seen some of the most talented athletes fail because they lacked one essential ingredient, confidence. Without it, everything else goes to waste. It'll make or break any athlete. And the same is true with life off the field too, especially when it comes to moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips its customers with as much confidence as possible to make their move successful. They do this by offering newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Every truck undergoes a multi-point inspection, plus you'll get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. So whether you're moving across the country or just across town, Penske Truck Rental helps you move with confidence. And now it's time for our Penske Truck Rental teams on the move. And our team on the move is the Washington State Cougars. Washington State, uh, going to be revealed, likely still in the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings after winning against Stanford. Gardner Minshew continuing to be one of the most prolific individual offensive players in the entire country. I wanted to call this game and I wanted to call this team and this spot uh, into center stage because Washington State playing at Colorado, a Colorado team that has lost four straight. They've lost four straight to USC, Washington, Oregon State, and Arizona. And the Colorado Buffaloes are just a six-point underdog at home against Washington State. I am putting the Cougars on upset alert. Is that fair? Are you going to... Uh, are you going to buy in that this is a scary spot for Washington State? The the line seems to point to it. I mean, one thing to look at for those, for, you know, think to our conversation with uh, Brady Quinn uh, before, I think it was before Colorado played USC. And, you know, he was pretty confident USC would be able to win that game because he was confident, look, all you got to do is stop LaVisca Chenault. You stop LaVisca Chenault, then Colorado is is can't do much. Well, they lost that game because they were able to slow down LaVisca Chenault. He had like 49 yards rushing and a touchdown and 72 yards receiving. So they didn't like totally shudder it, but they, they, they limited him. And then Colorado's been without right. Chenault for the last three weeks. And no surprise there, I guess, that they lose to Washington – they lose to Oregon State in just a total collapse, and they lose to an Arizona team that is is getting a little bit of a second win. So, uh, what's our status on Chenault? I know he's. I mean, he's not out for the season. I think he's he's expected back. So, if we get Chenault back, perhaps that could be the the jolt that Colorado needs to to make this game uh, an upset alert. But it does feel like Washington State is just. They're not that much better than the rest of the Pac-12 to where this sort of conference where everybody's sitting at five and four, and then and then Washington State is like the lone one loss, like eleven and one team, right? Yeah, I I mean I think that Washington State is going into this game with a with with an opportunity to also like reverse it, and if Washington State wins this game by like thirty, that would be. I mean it's a it's a three thirty Eastern time kickoff. So it'll be, you know, afternoon time local. It's going to be on big ESPN, national television. Like, this is a run-the-score-up game for Mike Leach, and I think that's the other side of this coin. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that <clears throat> I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you can just sort of confidently play Colorado here unless there's something I'm missing. I mean, I, I can get the strategic upset alerts, the right spots. I'll roll with the dice with Colorado, but it does feel like Washington State has last last week was a bit of an upset alert too. Yes, Cal, and they survived it, and that could have been the wake up call. Uh, so I don't know. This is this is an interesting game for sure. That's correct. Uh, Washington State, the Stanford win was two weeks ago. The Cal win last week. It's I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you're just guessing that Colorado is the you know they've been beaten down so much that you know this is the 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 college football. I'll tell you what, Barton. I was looking at the lines and it had a heads gonna roll kind of feel. And if that's going to be if it's going to be that kind of week, I think Washington State uh, gets caught you in the head. This weekend's a heads going to roll weekend. Yeah. Oh, not at the top. <laughs> We're having a lot of heads going to roll weekends this year. Not at the top, but I, I think that the fluidity between like the fifteenth best team and the fortieth best team—that's why we've seen. You know, we had twenty-one ranked teams lose in the last two weeks. I mean, we have a, basically an entire. We have like a hundred and. 22 teams that are five and four right now in college football i yeah i i'm, I'm looking at uh washington state and then a team on the move i, I think south carolina can go beat florida um sure. yeah i mean it's, yeah just when when you take a look uh with your team your research team start looking and tell me it doesn't smell like a head's gonna roll kind of weekend yeah but it's like one it's just there's turned into such parody it's almost like Clemson and Alabama have bogarted so much talent that everyone else is just playing with the same guys. They're all playing with, the, you know, it's just a bunch of, they're all playing checkers and in checkers, you know, you're always going to, you're always going to win a couple and lose a couple. No one's got any more power than anyone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. That is our Penske truck rental team on the move. The Washington state Cougars. Remember Penske truck rental uh, offers co- confidence to its customers. They do it by offering newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Thanks to their multi-point inspections. When you sign up with Penske, you get unlimited miles on one way rentals. The unexpected is bound to happen, but with Penske, you'll have the confidence you need to handle it. Penske truck rental, helping you move with confidence. All right. You ready to bring on Ross? Let's get it rolling. And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, Ross Tucker, former NFL player. You can hear him calling games. You can hear him writing about games. The Ross Tucker Football Podcast is a must-listen for any football fan, be it college or pro. You're one of the hardest-working men or women in football, period, Ross. And this weekend, you've got the call for uh, Penn State, Wisconsin. How are you doing here in the middle of this crazy uh, football week? here at the beginning of November? I'm doing great, man. You know, I'm kind of uh, just about ready to bust through the other side of the hardest part of the year. And really, none of it's really work. None of it's really hard. It's just at times it can be uh, time-consuming. But it's funny, I I literally have never said to my wife, like, I got to go to work. I got to go work. Like, it's always I got to go do a show. I got to go to a game. I got to go do a, a radio hit. I, I I never call it work because it's not. I, I mean, talking about football, going to a football game, it's incredible. I'm looking forward to going to Penn State. Have not been there in a couple years. You know, I grew up a big Penn State fan. 
growing up in Pennsylvania, uh, I didn't actually go play there. I was kind of a late bloomer. I, it's funny. I actually got a couple of handwritten letters from Jerry Sandusky uh, to walk on there. But when you're in high school and, you know, they, they ask you to walk on, you just figure you're not good enough. So I ended up playing at Princeton. But I've always kind of kept an eye on Penn State since then. And now living in central Pennsylvania, I grew up closer to Philly, but now I live in sort of the Harrisburg state capital, Hershey area, which is really close to Penn State. I actually do um, a bunch of Penn State media stuff. So I'm looking forward to going up there, seeing them. Really, you know, I got this game, guys, before the year. You know, they say, do you want to do Penn State, Wisconsin on November 10th? I said, heck yeah, I'd love to do it. I was not expecting it to be a matchup of a couple of three-win, I mean, three-loss teams. I, I really thought both teams would be good. I think I thought maybe Wisconsin would be especially good after I watched a bunch of their offensive linemen this offseason. I do the college draft podcast, and all of their dudes look like carbon copies of each other, like 6'6", 320, pretty good athletes, mean, physical, smart, tough. I mean, I really thought Wisconsin would roll people this year, and to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they haven't. Well, in your prep, let's start right there. In your preparation for this game, and in the football that you've watched as a as a fan and as someone who's invested in it, how do you diagnose the product that Wisconsin has on the field right now? And, and there are some skill players that they have not had in the mix. But even from the idea of the defense maybe not being what a lot of us expected coming into the year, Jonathan Taylor's been productive. Like, what's how do you put your finger on Wisconsin heading into this game? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to. And I think a lot of times people always point to the quarterback play and Alex Hornibrook, and he's been in and out of lineup the last couple games. But, you know, he's the same quarterback that they had last year. And I think the year before, I'd have to go back and check. So, you know, they've had a lot of success with him. They've won a lot of games with him. Even if stylistically he might not always be, you know, what you're looking for. I guess other than Russell Wilson, though, how many Wisconsin quarterbacks have you looked at and been like, oh, that guy's awesome. I love that guy. You know, they typically are kind of more um, game manager types. And for whatever reason, part of it, I think they have been beat up at times up front. They've had some different guys in the lineup at left tackle, at right guard at times. So I think that's been part of it. Uh, but I think you're exactly right on defense. I mean, if you watch them, the one guy that really – stood out to me and was still always making plays is their inside linebacker, TJ Edwards. I love that dude. I mean, he, he flies around. He is clearly the guy that stands out when you watch them defensively. But in recent years, they have been holding people to like nine points a game. I mean, they've really been a dominant defense and that hasn't been, hasn't been the case. I mean, they just gave up 17 points to Rutgers. Yeah. You no, know, like, and I know 17 points isn't a lot. But, but it's Rutgers. They shouldn't give up any points to Rutgers. So I think that's one of the major issues is, you know, and people always want to point the finger at one person, but they always want to ask, what's wrong with it? It's usually a combination of a bunch of different things, right? So for Wisconsin, their O-line hasn't been quite as dominant as we thought they'd be. The quarterback play has been uh, hit or miss. It has not been as good as maybe they hoped with uh, a returning starter. On defense, they haven't been as dominant as they were. And they lost some guys from last year, but I still think people just assumed 
that they'd still be good in that side of the ball. And that's basically the same thing for Penn State. You know, I mean, for Penn State, they got off to a great start. But then you look and, you know, their receivers have not been great. You know, they, they struggle at times to separate. And the biggest concern there is they've got veteran guys like DeAndre Tompkins and Jawan Johnson have played a lot of football for them. And they seem to have regressed. And I don't know if it's just those guys. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's maybe they're talking to agents a lot and they're just not as focused or they're worried about the next level. Or and they did get a new wide receiver coach after their former coach, Josh Gaddis, went down to Alabama. Maybe that's part of it. So that's been an issue for Penn State. You know, at quarterback, I love McSorley. You know, I, I've been following Penn State very closely since 84. He's the best quarterback they've ever had in terms of a college quarterback. And I know Kerry Collins had a ridiculous year and went on to, you know, be a top five pick, but Kerry Collins really had one awesome year and he did it with a boatload of first round picks around him. I mean, it was like, you know, Kajana Carter and Bobby Ingram and Andre Johnson and Jeff Harding's on first round picks on the old line and Kyle Brady. I mean, they had like, I think six or seven first round picks. So he had a great year. Trace McSorley has had a great two and a half years, but I think what's really happened to him guys is because they've struggled to throw the ball as well as they did the last couple of years, they've, they've relied on running Trace McSorley. Mm -hmm. I don't care how tough you are. If you're 200 pounds and you take the pounding that he has taken, I mean, I mean, he had like 175 yards against Ohio State, so many carries. And really, that's become kind of their default thing is that, okay, we're not throwing it well. Let's just run trace. Let's just run trace. This, this is what inevitably happens is I think that the player, and in this case, Trace McSorley, gets beat up to the point where they don't end up being as productive in the second half and certainly the last quarter of the year as you'd like them to be. I'm, I'm amazed, to be honest with you guys. I talk about this every week, you know, on the Penn State stuff I do. I'm amazed that he's stayed healthy this whole time. I mean, this is the first year he's even been 200 pounds. He has taken so many shots, and he still plays every snap. Now, he got hurt a little bit against Iowa, and I don't know what they were doing, in an, you know, yo- yo- yo-yoing him in and out of the lineup against Michigan. And we'll see. That's kind of some of the talk here in Pennsylvania is, Exactly what are they going to do this Saturday at quarterback? Will it be all trace? Will they split time? Will they give him time to heal his knee? It's, it's really the, the buzz around here, as you might expect. Is there any long-term reason for concern for either of these teams? I mean, when we're talking about like all over the country, whether it's USC or Florida State, I mean, they're not on this level. But th- these are teams that were hoping to, to contend for Big Ten championships uh, and I feel like we got a lot of blue bloods that are sort of having some some disappointing years. I, I guess as we typically do. But do you? Is there a reason for either of these teams to to look at this season and be concerned beyond the year uh, about just sort of w- what this season means for the for the program? I think that's an awesome question, and I I would say no, I don't. Although the way I kind of look at it is. Like, I'll use Penn State as an example first, right? I don't think there's long-term concern about them being competitive, and they have recruited well, and they do have some young guys, K.J. Hamler and uh, Jahan Dotson at wide receiver, and they haven't even played, 
you know, Justin Shorter, their five-star kid who's been banged up this year. So he might have a big, you know, sophomore year next year, redshirt freshman, whatever. They conceivably would have their whole offensive line back next year if nobody leaves school early. True freshman Pat Fryermuth at tight end has played very well. They've got some good running backs. Tommy Stevens, I think, will do a nice job at quarterback next year. They bring a lot back on defense next year. So I think that they will kind of be what they've been, which is in the mix there with Ohio State and Michigan, maybe um, you know over a 10-year basis, a, a notch below those teams. You know, Michigan, I was really impressed watching them on Saturday against Penn State. I mean, they have dudes everywhere. I mean, they, yeah. they have legitimately really good, like, um, you know, Devin Bush is a stud. Kalik Hudson, I mean, Lavert Hill, a corner. You know, obviously, Rashawn Gary and Winovich. By the way, it pains me as a Pennsylvania guy. Winovich is a Pennsylvania kid. Kalik Hudson's a Pennsylvania kid. Rashawn Gary's a Jersey kid. You know, John Runyon at left tackle you know, played at a Philly uh, Catholic school. So uh, unlike Ohio State, it seems like Michigan gets a lot of the kids that are kind of guys that Penn State needs to try to seal the deal with. So long-winded way of me saying, I think they'll be fine. But what I've said and what I wonder is, will they look back at the last few years with Deshaun Hamilton, Mike Gesicki, Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley and say, man, like that, that was our window. Like that, mm. that was our time where we could have, you know, won multiple big 10 championships where we could have made the college football playoff instead. You know, they lost to Michigan state two years in a row, which is really unacceptable. I mean, they have significantly better players than Michigan state. Michigan state does not recruit at the same level. D'Antonio does a great job coaching, but for them to lose to that team two years in a row, and really they blew it against Ohio State two years in a row. I mean, both years they had double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. So I think they'll be good. I think they'll be a double-digit win team. They'll be in the mix. But I guess I just wonder if if two years from now people aren't going to be like, or even maybe next year, holy cow, man. We had like the best the plus player in the country in Saquon Barkley, the best receiver in school history, maybe in Deshaun Hamilton, the best tight end in Gasicki, maybe the best quarterback, and we didn't really, we didn't make the college football playoff. We didn't, we didn't do any of those special things. For Wisconsin, I think what they've got going for them is a being in the Big Ten West, which is a light years difference from the Big Ten East. It's just, it's crazy that they, they should do something. By the way for some competitive balance there because it's just, it's night and day. Nobody in the big 10 West competes at the same level or recruits at the same level as Ohio state, Michigan, and Penn state. They just don't. I mean, I see the kids that get offered by Wisconsin and Iowa and Nebraska versus, you know, the, the kids that get offered by these other schools. So I think Wisconsin will be where they've been, but I think almost along the same lines, they had everybody back on the O line they're all like, you know, first two-day draft picks. They had the returning quarterback. They have the return running back. I think Wisconsin will be kind of what Wisconsin always is. But I think they, too, will look back at 2018 and just be like, what the heck, man? Like, how do we, how do we not cash in that year 
because they'll still be there nine and three, ten and two, good team. But it's rare for a team like Wisconsin to have the talent that enables them to be able to say before the year that we're a legit college football playoff contender. And I really thought Wisconsin was before the season started. Yeah, and and I I, I agree. And Wisconsin too, like the Big Ten West is going to keep getting better. I think with Penn State, the you know the the argument that this isn't the, the missed window is that they'll keep on stair stepping up recruiting wise and and James Franklin is is if he starts bringing in perennial top five classes maybe that that's that's more of a regular thing uh, in terms of the talent than than a rare occasion but in in terms of recruiting because I, I think uh, other than the just the total recruiting nerds like me on the national side I, you really do a good job of following it and keeping pace with it and and you work with the Army Bowl every year and you called the game when uh, Jake Fromm and Tua were playing on the same field. And so you had, like me, a little bit of an inside insight into what those guys were. And look, I've been trying to yell to everybody that Tua was going to do this this year. What was your impression of those guys in that setting? And and did, did you see this coming from Tua as well? Well, first of all, it's amazing what you can learn in just a couple days and really just being around them, even in those, you know, production meetings we have where we get a chance to really just talk to the kids and see how they conduct themselves. I mean, I, it's not a hundred percent, but I wish, you know, maybe we'll do it this year, Barton. I'll rank the quarterbacks just based solely on how they are in those meetings because I mean I was so impressed by Jake Fromm and I mean they he was the captain of his team at the Army Bowl immediately and there was no debate it wasn't even discussed he just did it it just happened and I remember talking I remember even just his demeanor when we asked him about Jacob Eason and he's like yeah you know what there's going to be guys wherever you go. And if he beats me out, you know, and it's his job, then that's great for Georgia because I'm going to be good. Like I'm, I'm going to be ready to go. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a good quarterback. So if he's able to beat me out, then, then we got a really good team and that's, that's great for Georgia. And so I was just so impressed by from now I will say, I think he's probably a little better than I thought he'd be. I didn't think he, you know, what's interesting about from is, and, and Barton, you're more of the, uh, looking at the skills of the, the, some of these guys than I am, you know, cause I'm, I'm evaluating that more their personality and demeanor when I'm there, but he doesn't really have the biggest arm. No. He's not really that athletic. You know, he, he kind of reminds you of a lot of the quarterbacks that Alabama's had over the years yeah. where it's almost like his leadership and intangibles are so off the charts and football intelligence that, they're willing to overlook that he doesn't have Justin Fields' arm or legs, so to speak. Which, by the way, you know, what's interesting to me about, about Jake Fromm and the Justin Fields and the whole situation, it, it's just interesting that Justin Fields still went there. And the whole dynamic now with quarterbacks transferring and how that goes, I find fascinating. But I also wonder this, Barton, and maybe you can answer this. So Jake Fromm initially committed to Alabama. 
And then he came back to Georgia after Kirby Smart got the job. My question is, how does how does Alabama do such a good job of IDing the leadership skills and intangibles of high school quarterbacks? Like, how do you do that? How do you do that on the high school level? I mean, I don't know that they've they've got some misses at quarterback, Ross. Like, don't forget that. <laughs> you know, I think they're on a really hot streak now with Tua and and Jalen and and you know they had Jake Fromm committed as well, like you said, but. Uh, there was a stretch when, look, just, just think about, um, uh, what was the kid's name that transferred to Nevada? Um, uh, uh Bateman or whatever. Uh, Cooper that, Bateman. Yeah, Cooper Bateman. Yeah. Uh, or no, Cooper Bateman, Bateman transferred up to Utah. Uh, but they had the other kid that transferred to Nevada and then they had, uh, Blake Barnett that transferred out as well. I mean, oh, David they, Cornwell. Cornwell's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I, I think we've suddenly Alabama is this sort of new school that evaluates the quarterback position really well. But they, that was sort of the running joke before that is, is how they, they were missing on all these guys like Phillip Sims and, and uh, Ely. That's and, interesting. And, I, I was thinking more like in my head, I was thinking more like Greg McElroy, John Parker Wilson type mm-hmm. guys. And how yep. it seemed like they always got a guy that was smart, you know, good leader, all yeah. those type of things, but you're right. And and to answer your question about Tua, I I, I did not see this coming. I mean, I, I I know people were high on him. He did some good things in the Army Bowl, but I wasn't like um, I wasn't really blown away by him in any way. I mean, he he had a very different personality than Jake Fromm. He was kind of like happy-go-lucky, you know, smiling and just kind of. Just kind of like soaking every minute of it and, and loving it. And I didn't know that he was going to end up being this good of a player. It's remarkable. And, you know, when we were talking with him, you know, Jalen Hurts in Alabama were going to play in the college football playoffs. So I, I just wasn't expecting him to be able to, to beat out the next year Jalen Hurts in that game. I mean, it was insane for me, Barton, to watch the college football national championship last year with Jake Fromm and Tua in there, a quarterback in the second half. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> it was a year ago that these kids were midway through their senior year of high school. And I just talked to them and they looked like they were 17 year old kids. It's just the way it's progressed that those guys can do what they did in that stage, that environment, all those people, all that pressure. I'm amazed. I mean, I, I, I thought it was a big deal when I started my first game as a freshman at DN at Colgate in front of 4,000 people. And I was nervous as heck. And I mean, I just, I'm amazed. Like it's, I'm in awe of what these, some of these young players are able to do these days, especially at the quarterback position. And, and I guess we're seeing it now from Trevor Lawrence. I got to tell you, um, cause I know he was, I got you were really high on Barton in the early in the season, like that game where he got hurt. Was it was at Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was pretty skeptical of him. I mean, I was I was not thinking. Um, I was hey, thinking that, he doesn't look. A kid, he he didn't have a great Army game performance either. So you you probably didn't leave the Army game thinking, well, that's the guy. Right, right. I watched him. I watched Trevor Lawrence, and I was just like, hmm. 
Okay, you know, because I know you were saying best prospect in 10 years and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, you know, I guess, you know, these other guys have set the bar so high that it's incredibly unfair that if you're not like a total stud as a true freshman from game one, which, by the way, like, you shouldn't be. Like, it's supposed to be hard. You shouldn't be this good right away. What do yeah. you attribute – like, what, why do you think it is that we are seeing these players come in and to be more prepared for that moment? You know, even on a, a human level, on a player level, in terms of your development, you know, what are the things along the way that are preparing a Jake Fromm or a Tua or a Trevor Lawrence to be able to come in and be able to handle all the pressure of big-time national championship contention college football right away? I would say, Chip, there's probably four things that come to mind. Number one is sort of the, uh, the private quarterback gurus. I do think that that helps and that the kids are more advanced than they used to be. And I'll even add to that, the elite 11 stuff. I think that Dilfer and those guys do. Yeah. I'm not talking about who they vote on or who moves up to the next level. I just think Dilfer and those guys do a good job of actually telling the kids what playing that position is all about. It's not about your huddle video you know, where you can throw the ball 70 yards and you can sprint. Although I, I did watch Justin Fields' video about 20 times when I saw it. I mean, as awesome as that is, it's not about that. Like, and at the NFL, it's even more pronounced that it's not about that. And it's so much more about the mental aspect of it. I think they do a good job of making sure the kids know that. The third thing is enrolling early. I, I think it makes it, it makes a gigantic difference. I mean, there's a big difference between a kid that shows up in July or August versus a kid that shows up in January. I mean, it's night and day. I've even seen it at Penn State at other positions, O-line or whatever. It's just it's such an edge for the early enrollees to have that chance to play right away, going through spring ball, you know, working out with the guys. Because when you come back for fall camp, it's almost like you're a redshirt freshman. It's almost like you've already had something under your belt. You're not kind of in awe of the speed of the game or trying to play catch up. And I think the last one is a combo of two things. One is that the coaches have higher expectations for them. The coaches don't baby them as much as they used to and think, ah, you can't ever play. The coaches get them ready to play right away. And also because so many true freshmen have played, there's almost an expectation now. Like these kids go there expecting to compete. Whereas they used to go there really expecting a red shirt or maybe hoping to compete. Now they've seen so many kids the couple years before them that it's just a totally different mindset. It's not like let's bring this guy along slowly. It's let's get him ready to go see if he can beat out the guy we got or at least have him be ready to be number two. And if the guy ahead of him falters, we'll put him in there. So I, I, I want to spin this even forward because one of the things that's great about you, Ross, is you'll go to a game on Friday night and watch high school and then you'll call a Saturday game and then you'll, you'll call an NFL game. And so you're, you're sort of following every, every stage of it. And it feels like now as we watch, you know, the Rams and the saints the other night, it, you know, and it, the, the NFL is becoming more Big 12 every year and every game. And 
there's all these spread quarterbacks now that are all of a sudden successful, whether it's Jared Goff or Mahomes or Baker Mayfield or whoever. And so I'm curious. I've got a couple questions here. One, do you think that the stigma is gone from the the spread quarterback uh, in, in terms of their adjustment to the NFL? And and secondly, I'm, I'm curious if you think that given this sort of transition we're seeing, is, is Lincoln Riley ready right now to be a, a, a big-time NFL head coach? So the first question is, I think the stigma is gone for people that have been paying attention. I think there will be probably for a few more years, there will be old-school people or people that are um, you know, late adopters, let's call it, that will say, no, no, it's, it's a fad, or you can't do it, or defenses will catch up, or your quarterback can't take that many hits, or however it is that they want to poo-poo it. The reality is there are pros and cons to every offense and every defense. And what we're realizing now is that so many of these college concepts, and give the college coaches and the high school coaches the credit, because they're the ones that – uh, invented a lot of these concepts that more and more NFL teams are using and having success with. You know why? Because they're better. I mean, they're smarter. The run pass option stuff, the zone read option stuff, it is highly, highly effective. You are able to put the defense in conflict better than you ever have been before. So I think it's here to stay. And I, I like to even see, we saw Monday night, Marcus Mariota running true, you know, zone read at the mesh point a few times. I, I really think if, if these quarterbacks just realize, get your five to seven yards and slide, or get your five to seven yards and get out of bounds, I really think th- those things are here to stay because you put the defense in such a bind, and then some of the stuff you can do in the passing game off of it, I mean, it's almost impossible to be right on defense. It really is. Like you, I talk to defensive coordinators, and they're like, Ross, there's a lot of offense out there, man. There's a lot. I mean, I've never seen guys so happy to give up 24 points, you know, in a game. I've never seen guys that are like, you know, it's almost the Patriots who kind of figured out, hey, let's just make, let's just build a defense that's good in the red zone. You know, they're gonna yeah. lose the ball anyway. Let's just hold them to field goals, and and that's how we'll that's how we'll make a difference. Turnovers and and and, and red zone. As for Lincoln Riley, I don't know him well enough. I don't know him uh, in terms of his leadership and, you know, how he would conduct himself in front of a room. I think in terms of what he does offensively, absolutely, he's ready right now. And I would guess, see, I think, guys, there's going to be a lot of changes in the NFL. I mean, I, I could go right down the list, but I'm telling you, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, some of the ones are obviously obvious. The Browns are already open. But the Broncos, you know, that guy's done. You know, barring something unforeseen, I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Garrett is gone, John Harbaugh, Mike McCarthy. I mean, we're talking about teams that have been good for a while, have talent. Some of them have quarterbacks. And you can't tell me that Lincoln Riley isn't going to get offered a couple of those jobs and isn't going to be, be tempted to take one. Because, by the way, you, you would have to inform me, guys. He had Baker Mayfield. 
He has Kyler Murray, who, by the way, might be the fastest quarterback I've ever seen in my life. I mean, that guy is unbelievable. He has those guys. I don't know what he has behind him. I mean, you tell me, Barton, who the next quarterback is in Oklahoma. I'm sure he's good. I just don't know if he's Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. And if you're Lincoln Riley, now might be the time to go take the Browns job and, and, and ride with a quarterback that you know and like. Or maybe even end up taking, I don't know, maybe he takes the Packers job and sees what he can do with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I, I think there's going to be some very uh, – Denver, I mentioned the Ravens, there's going to be some very attractive openings that a guy like Lincoln Riley – I mean, when are jobs like that open? Jobs like the Broncos and the Ravens and, and the Packers, we're not talking about, you know, the Bills and some of these, you know, bad organizations. They, we're talking about the yeah. middle organizations, Cowboys and the Browns who have your old quarterback. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, I, I know you got to run, Ross, but on the way out – you call a bunch of these Mac and, and Ivy League and Patriot League type games too. Can you give us one or two players in uh, on that level that are just have really opened your eyes and that you know NFL draft Knicks or or college football fans should, should kind of be aware of? Well, I think you know this about about the Ivy League, Barton, because you played in the Ivy League as well. But it's crazy. I think there was 21 guys that played in games on Sunday, something oh, like yeah. that, or 21 on active rosters. I mean, there are so many more. The Ivy League talent level is so much better than people realize, which is why Princeton, my alma mater, is going to be ranked in the top ten in the country after they hopefully smash your alma mater on Saturday. Um, That's out. They, they, Princeton, Princeton's got some dudes. To say, and you know this, they recruit almost better than any other FCS program now, some of them. I mean, Princeton and, and Yale – and Harvard, they're getting five to ten guys that are turning down five or six Power Five offers. I mean, Without, yeah. I mean, not Group of Five, Power Five. I mean, they're, they're getting like legit guys to go there now because of the education and because of you know what they're able to do with the financial aid. Uh, and I would just say the MAC in general is much better than I ever realized. I had a chance to do several MAC games. Two guys that are intriguing to me, one's actually an underclassman, Deontay Johnson, a wide receiver at Toledo, uh, was very, very impressive. And Tyree Jackson, the quarterback, University of Buffalo. Oh, Both yeah. those yeah. guys have another year of eligibility, but I wouldn't be surprised if either one, just because of their physical skills and what they've done this year, I wouldn't be surprised if either one at least thinks hard about leaving Scaroli, which you don't see very often from kids in the Mac. He is Ross Tucker. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross, you're the absolute best. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, guys.